Welcome to the Special Strength Fitness Podcast, where we break down the psychology, fitness, and nutrition strategies you need to know to successfully transform your life. In today's episode, my guest speaker is an amazing woman. She's a, she wears many hats, and I'm very happy to have her on here today to talk about a weight loss masterclass with you guys. Uh, now, I'll do a quick introduction. This is Jennifer Trepak. She is an optimal health coach, podcaster, and a business consultant, and she is the host of Salad with Fries. It's a podcast. If you haven't checked it out, definitely check it out. I don't want to give too much away, so without further ado, welcome Jen to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. Super glad to have you here. Uh, I know we had a chance to chat recently and just kind of catch up on what we do and, and, and what kind of people we're aligning to help. And a lot of what we do ends up being, you know, on a similar mission path, I would say. So, you know, before I get into all of that, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to my audience and just let them know who you are. Sure. So, hey, guys, Jen Trepic. Um, I came to all this health stuff through my own, I call it a saga of weight management. I feel like the word journey just doesn't do it justice. Um, so I grew up a dancer and I often joke that I was the skinny one in a family of dieters. Uh, but the truth is I realize now that just means that I was on a diet my whole life and I didn't realize it. So when I, after high school going into college, when I started to lose weight or gain weight, I was like, okay, I know what to do. I watched my family do this my whole life. And I started every diet. I did everything out there. There isn't a diet that I haven't done, my family hasn't done, or we don't know somebody who's done it. And I was up and down on the scale, right? For years, that merry-go-round roller coaster, whatever you want to call it, like I was on it and in it. And even when I first learned about the program that I now teach, I was like, no, no, no that's okay. I've got my thing, right? My thing was like this craziness, but I didn't need whatever they had, you know? Yeah. So I remember uh, this one woman was telling her story of losing like 150 pounds or something. And legitimately, I couldn't tell you her name. I couldn't tell you anything else about her except that she lost 150 pounds because everything else she said I didn't hear. I was in my own head, like just staring at her because I couldn't see where 10 pounds could have been on her body. Right. Let alone the equivalent of another human that she was telling me was attached to her. And so I had a moment with myself, you know, and I was like, Jennifer, right? Not even Jen. This was like a full name. A serious moment, formal conversation. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Jennifer get over yourself. Like they clearly know something that you don't know because what you're seeing and what you're hearing of her story, like does not compute. Yeah. You know? So I worked with a coach. I followed the program myself. It completely changed my life. Like the only thing that's allowed me to say I've kicked my food issues. What's this program that you got on? Yeah. So it's called TLS. Um, which stands for Transitions Lifestyle System. It's based on a book by Dr. Sherry Lieberman called Dare to Lose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 40 years ago, Dr. Sherry was like the first person talking about functional nutrition right. and functional medicine and the interplay between nutrition and our overall health. And so it's really the nutrition education we're all supposed to know and no one ever taught us. And why do you think that happens? I mean, why don't we get taught this important information? complicated. 
Uh, the first reason is money, right? Economics. Uh-huh. So that food pyramid that we grew up with, I don't know yeah. if you guys grew up with it oh, in God, Canada, but yeah. okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the food pyramid that we grew up with where it had grains at the bottom, right. And then all of everything else above. Right. Was not based on science and nutrition. That was based on getting us to eat what we grow in this country. Right. So seasonal And the crops, not seasonal, because what we did was we subsidized, right? We subsidized grain, we wheat, corn, soy. Right. Right. And those farmers get subsidies. So it was, we got to get the people to eat that because we're paying them to grow it. Mm -hmm. Right. So... It was about getting us to eat what we grow, not about getting us to eat what our body actually needs. And what did that lead to? I mean, we have an obesity epidemic at every age group. Yeah. You know, diabetes, right? It used to be adult onset diabetes. Not anymore. Now it's called type two because kids are getting it. We have a problem. (laughs) You know? Absolutely. Um, all symptom illness and disease stem from inflammation and eating according to that food pyramid there it's a pro-inflammatory plan you know i did a episode with a nurse um a friend of mine who's a nurse just a few episodes ago and she was talking about the same thing where that canada food guide at least in canada here they have that little pyramid set up and she's like i wouldn't recommend that because right. when you follow that, you start realizing how bad it is for you. And then, exactly. And then the snowball effect, too, of like, we, our world has evolved to a place where convenience is the priority, mm-hmm. right? Well, convenience and the economics of it mean that we need foods to stay, you know, to have a long shelf life, to stay good as they sit in the pantry or on the shelf in the store. What that means is, They are full of chemicals that keep the food from going bad. And so there's a lot of chemicals in our food that, A, turn off our ability to know when we're full. B, a lot of these chemicals, um, and of course, in this moment, I can't think of the name of the one that I'm thinking of, but there's one in particular that uh, hits the same receptors in the brain as opioids. Right. Yeah. Um, Exo and whatever. I'll think of what it is in a minute. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very chemical, right? Even we're, many people are challenged by attention, our mood, our energy, our sleep, all of these things. When we put new to nature molecules in our body, our body doesn't recognize that as food. So and- it feels like food-like substances to us, but the body says, I don't know what to do with this. See, I'm so glad you touched on the topic of how it affects not just our health, like physical health, but our mental health as well. Uh, we have this epidemic of, you know, all these kids being, uh, oh, you're ADHD, go ahead, here's the drugs for it. But we never look at what's causing kids to not have the attention that they should, right? Why are kids the way they are? I, I talk about kids a lot because uh, most of my career, I've worked with kids uh, in a significant category, uh, way. And uh, you see the effect it has when you nurture a kid and teach a kid uh, the proper way to kind of come up with nutrition and training versus when you just let them loose and, you know, grab whatever you can on the shelves in the supermarket. And you see them later in life and it, it defines their success. It defines their happiness, their health. It defines so much. So it's so important we get it right with the kids. Well, and- it's really interesting even in what you're saying, because the truth is 
we teach our kids out of paying attention to their body. So for example, a friend of mine, her son, when he was little, they were in the car and he said, mom, I'm hungry. And, you know, being a mom, she naturally had something in her bag, right? Yes. <laughs> right? So Super she, bars. right. So she's driving, she grabs this little snack, whatever it was, you know, out of her bag, open the package, passes it to him in the back seat. And a couple minutes later, he hands it back to her and he's like, here, I'm done. Wow. And she's like, really? <laughs> he was like, yeah. We teach our kids that finishing the package means you're done. We teach right. our kids that finishing everything on your plate means you're done. Rather than saying, no, my, I feel satisfied. I know you're what that feels that. like. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we teach our kids that food is in the pantry. Right. So one of the things that I, I work with kids and families as well. And one of the things that I always teach them is fridge first. Right. When we're okay, looking for that, that's food. That's interesting. <laughs> tell me more about fridge first because I've never heard that before. Yeah. So when we're looking for food, food is found in the fridge. <laughs> right. So fridge first when we're hungry. And then sometimes maybe we're adding something to it from the pantry, but fridge first. All right. So I'm going to put that in my back pocket for my kids. Right. Got it? <laughs> <laughs> so That's totally. awesome. But it's the little things and it's, and it's hard, right? Like, and full disclosure, I don't have kids, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I have a nephew who's going to be seven. I, all my friends have kids for the most part. Um, and I've worked with kids and families. So I totally get it, right? Like we're challenged by encouraging them to eat and to eat healthfully. And there's sort of a fine line between, you know, food as reward and right. getting them to eat the nutritious things and encouraging them to not pay attention to when they're actually full, right? So part of it is also saying, you know, are you full just because you want to go watch TV? Mm -hmm. Are you full just because you want dessert? Right? Like kind of figuring that out. You know, and being in touch with their bodies. Exactly. Exactly. And it's important that we don't teach them out of that. Now, I, I got to say, one of the saddest things for me is when I see so many kids coming to me or their parents bringing them to me and say, hey, my kid is overweight. When I was a kid, like when I, when I was a wee little lad, that was not a thing. You just played outside, right? You played all day or you did things that had to do less with being in front of a screen and more to do with being outside. And you didn't run into these issues. But now the saddest thing is, you know, children as young as like three, four-year-olds are obese. Some of them morbidly obese. It's like, how do you get that bad at that young of an age? It's because the adults in this equation are lacking the information. So I want to ask Well, you, that's a, I just want to jump yeah. on that. I'm sorry, really quick, because I think it's really important. It's not your fault. Mm -hmm. We don't have this information. Our parents didn't have this information. How exactly. is it a one? There's no way we could have ended up anywhere else. Right. Right. Like all this, we didn't fail. All this other stuff failed us. Mm -hmm. And now we're learning something differently so that we can do something differently. But like we didn't, we didn't know anything else. How could we have ended up in a different place? So like, don't beat yourself up. <laughs> That's so important because so many people, it's like dieting, right? If you fall off your diet on one single day, don't beat yourself up. Just 
pick it up the next meal or the next day. Um, I want to ask you now, you know, with this pandemic going on, a lot of people have been scooped up inside. Obviously, we're putting on the weight, right? Pandemic pounds are on. So uh, let me start by asking, how would you define weight loss? That's going to be one of the most common things coming out of this pandemic. People are going to look for that. How do you define weight loss? Okay. Like everything, nothing is simple, <laughs> uh-huh. yep. right? So I think the average person defines weight loss as the number and the scale going down. Right. Right. What I want to point out to everybody above all is that that number on the scale includes your muscles, your bones, your organs, (laughs) right? Your brain and your fat. Yes. So really important, the number on the scale not our best barometer for progress. Same with BMI. BMI is not our best barometer for progress. I did a whole episode called BMI is BS because I was like, this is nonsense, (laughs) right? So BMI, body mass index, is based on height and weight. Yep. And a really good calculator will take your age into account. Woohoo, right? (laughs) Well, here's what happens. Two people, same age, whatever age they want. Someone could be 5'7 and 170 pounds of muscle, mm-hmm. or someone could be 5'7 and 170 pounds of fat. Their BMI is going to be exactly the same. And does their that make health any sense, outcomes, right? right? Because their health outcomes will be totally different. Absolutely. And so I want to redefine, first of all, weight loss. I hate the word loss and lose, and we can get into all that if you want, right. but redefine this to be reducing body fat percentage and actually measuring body fat percentage, Mm -hmm. but that the ultimate goal is not weight loss. The ultimate goal is health and health on a number of levels. So sleep, stress, energy, self-esteem, mood, all of these pieces, right? And of course, you know, no symptoms, illness, disease, you know, those kinds of things too. But so redefining it to make health the priority and well-rounded whole being health as the priority. And truth is the body fat reduction Mm -hmm. is the side effect of focusing on health. So let me challenge you on that. I love to play devil's advocate once in a while. Let me put myself in the role of somebody who needs to lose weight yeah. Objectively, subjective, they just need to lose weight because they're overweight. Yeah. They can't see past that number on the scale. Yeah. I get so many, especially women, so many clients coming who just cannot see past that. And you know, they might they might be starting to put, put on some muscle there and the weight starts going up and they're like, oh my God, it's not working, it's failing. So how do you talk somebody, uh, somebody who's in that mind, mindset, yeah. how do you talk them into understanding why health should be the priority and not the scale? So first of all, health being the priority is because, you know, we back up and we start to have a conversation of like, well, why? What's going to be different when the number on the scale says X versus Y? Well, why does that matter? So for example, right, somebody, like I have a client who, you know, she has knee issues and she has back pain and she's like, the doctor just, you know, like I need to lose weight for my knee to be better. Okay, well, what's going to be different when your knee doesn't hurt? Well, then I can go up and downstairs. 
cool. Where are you going up and downstairs to? Well, around my daughter's house. Oh, interesting. Tell me more about your daughter's house. Well, my grandkids live there. Interesting. So now it's about being able to sit on the floor and go up and down the stairs and be with her grandkid. Yeah. Now we're getting to something real and interesting. And then, well, how old are they? Oh, they're toddlers. Amazing. Wouldn't it be awesome if you were here for their wedding? Right. What does that require? Right. More than just lack of knee pain. <laughs> you A know, lot more. And, right. And so we start to get into the, why, and I also hate that phrase because I think it's so overused, right? But we get into really what's important and what's going to be different. And what's going to be different requires health, not the number on the scale. The number on the scale is part of the symptom. I, I agree. And, you know, like I was doing an episode on Clubhouse. I, I don't, for my Android users, mm-hmm. you don't know this yet, but uh, Apple Apple users know all about Clubhouse. I think it's on Android now. It's coming on Android like super yeah. soon. So I got an early test. Um, so I was doing an episode where people were discussing these questions. And I said, listen, as professionals in the industry, we have to ask multi-layered questions. You can't, you can't just stop at why do you want to lose weight? That's just one layer. You got to go deep just like you did. And that's fantastic because then you really start understanding their true motivations and then you can use that to guide them to thinking differently about wanting health, wanting strength, wanting mobility over just the number on the scale going down. Exactly. And the other side to that, sort of when you started to play devil's advocate, right? Part of that conversation was, I've done this a million times, you know, like I just need it. To, I need the scale to move. And one of the things is we've, you know, if you are this person, right? right. You know. So when you've tried, you know, like these other diets and I typically go through, right? Like we commiserate because we've all done them all, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) um, and when you do, right, the number on the scale goes down for a while and then it stops moving and then we get frustrated and we start to go back to these old eating habits and then the number on the scale starts to go up again, right? Why, Why do we go back to these old eating habits when we hit the plateau? So, well, first of all, you haven't really hit a plateau. So let me back up to the actual science of what's happening with all of the typical diets that are out there, right? When we cut out whole food groups, dramatically cut calories or do any of the things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right, that all these diets tell us to do, what we actually lose when that number on the scale is going down, what we're losing is water, muscle, and sometimes bone. Now, what we did to make the number and the scale go down is not sustainable. We cannot go the rest of our lives cutting out entire food groups or only eating, you know, 900 calories a day, which PS is not even enough for a toddler. Right, exactly. Right? But but that's not sustainable. So inevitably, we go back to these old eating habits. But now, because we lost that weight as water, muscle, and a little bit of bone, we have less muscle on our body to be burning those extra calories, the number on the scale starts to go back up. But what we gain, now that we have less muscle, what we gain is fat. So every time we yo-yo, we lose it as water and muscle, gain it back as fat. Lose it as water and muscle, gain it back as fat. So even if we're at the same number on the scale as we were before, Mm-hmm. By body composition, we're fatter at that same number. So one of the pieces 
And to get beyond the scale is to start measuring things beyond the scale. So like we're what? also going to measure body fat percentage and we're going to use a tape measure and we're going to actually measure with a tape measure, <laughs> right? A whole bunch of different places on our body. And we're going to start to check in with our sleep, our stress, our mood and energy, and our self-esteem. And when we start to look at all of these things as barometers for progress, we can move beyond the scale. Uh, those are great points. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go into devil's advocate again, because yeah. this is this is such a hot button issue for so many people, because so many people struggle with having extra weight on them, and it affects their self-esteem and self-image, that yep. they just, every time you, you tell them these things, they say, but no, I really just want to lose the weight, i.e. see the number go down. Why do, you think people, why do you think people it will, fail? But the difference is, right, the number on the scale is going to change. But the difference is it's going to be permanent and it's going to support your health. Exactly. Because the, any diet will work. Any diet you follow will make the number on the scale go down. But it becomes a function of A, how long term is it? And B, how healthful is it? Because you can make the number on the scale go down and still have your knee pain and still have diabetes and still have cardiovascular disease and still have all of these things. And it's not going to last because you're going to end up back in this yo-yo thing because we've all done it before. Exactly. And um, why do you think people keep doing the yo-yo thing? Why do they keep bouncing back into something or trying something different without sticking to one program and following through with it? Why does that happen? So it's less about sticking to one program and following through. It's more about the programs that we choose are not designed for long-term, right? They are designed, a lot of the typical diets out there are designed for the number on the scale to go down quickly and not for long-term and not for health, right? Because no one on the planet has a grain deficiency, <laughs> right? Like that food pyramid, right? right? No one has a grain deficiency, but the idea that we're never going to eat a grain for the rest of our life is also unrealistic. Yeah. And when that is the plan, the second a grain shows up in our lives and in our nutrition, we're off. We have that black and white thinking yes. of on, off, good, bad. Part of the objective toward long-term health and long-term weight management is learning to live in the gray area. Yes. Between the black and white, where everything is a part of the plan. So if your weekdays and weekends look completely different, you're not there yet, even if the scale says you are. Right? The objective is to get to a place where we live healthful lives. Our default is healthful choices. And we're always just sort of back and forth, a little bit of pendulum swing, back and forth, always moving forward, never living in these extremes. How does it affect your quality of life? I mean, for me personally, it's been everything. I mean, when we're living in that black and white life, when we're living following these crazy plans, so much of our brain capacity, there's that constant conversation happening in the back of our mind, whether it's keeping track of what we ate, beating ourselves up for what we ate, trying to talk ourselves into eating something else, right? There's this constant food conversation happening in the back of our mind. What is different when we live in the gray area is that we don't have that voice anymore. So now 
Imagine all that brain capacity going to something that actually matters. Like, what could you be creating in this world if half of your brain wasn't caught up in keeping track of what you ate, trying to get you to eat something else, and beating yourself up for the thing that you ate before that you're like, don't do that again, or what's wrong with you? Why can't you just not eat it, right? If our brain wasn't doing that, what could it do? Exactly. And that's the magic because having this conversation is just wasted potential. Okay. I want to take it back a few steps here. So yeah. I want to I want to role play a little bit so we can give people who are listening to this episode actionable steps to take. So I'm somebody coming into you and saying, hey, Jen, I, I want to lose weight. I'm about mm-hmm. 20 pounds overweight, I think. I feel like I'm 20 pounds overweight. I could lose that. Um, what do I do? Great. So we want to lose. So the goal, right? If we're putting a number on it, just so Mm -hmm. that we're on the same page about our commitment, Mm -hmm. right? 20 pounds in how much time? Um, Realistically. uh, Three months. Cool. Awesome. And how would you describe your commitment level, like on a scale of one to five? Like five being get out of my way. I'm doing this with or without you. Three is average. And one is like, this better be easy. And I need constant encouragement. I'm at a five. Awesome. Always at a five. Awesome. So when so what we did here, right, is we established <laughs> the goal, the time frame, and the commitment level. What yeah. are we willing to give? If we're a five, we're probably willing to do slightly different things than if we're two. And all that means is setting up expectations for ourselves of what we can expect ourselves to give, what we can expect of those results. So if we're a two, but we want to lose 20 pounds in three months, that might be aggressive, right? Depending on our commitment levels. We want to make sure that these things are aligned. And that's a big piece of managing our own expectations, right? Across the board, no matter what, and if you're a note taker, write this down. Protein and fiber at every meal makes removing fat no big deal. Protein and fiber at every meal makes removing fat no big deal. So protein is clean, lean protein. You want that to be animal? Cool. You want that to be plant? Cool. You Whatever you want, but clean, lean protein. Fiber is vegetables and sometimes fruit. Right? Protein and fiber at every meal. So a meal is Actually, every time we eat, the only difference between a meal and a snack is how much we have. So the amount of food. Okay, right. The amount of food. And then the the other thing that we do want to get every day is our quality fat a couple times a day. And I'm working on getting fat into that sentence. It doesn't really quite fit yet. yet. (laughs) So I just throw it in there after. But if we start with the protein and fiber, What it allows us to do is keep our blood sugar balanced. So one of the things that we've learned in science over the years and in biology is that if our body is storing fat or burning fat, it is a function of blood sugar. Explain that for the people who are not scientifically inclined. So if our blood sugar is too high and if our blood sugar is too low, we're storing fat. So let me dig into that a little further. Mm -hmm. So our blood sugar could be too high because we've eaten too much, because we've eaten foods that spike our blood sugar, like high glycemic carbs, like maybe certain kinds of bread or ice cream or 
cookies, donuts, right? Exactly. So think about it at the grocery store, right? You have a conveyor belt and you put the groceries on the conveyor belt. The cashier has to ring them up and then somebody puts them in a bag. Mm -hmm. And when stuff comes that like that conveyor belt is coming at a knife's even pace, the cashier rings it up and it ends up in a bag, right? And there's like this nice flow. When the conveyor belt speeds up, what happens? All the food piles up, right? And whether the food piles up, you know, it's like, then we've got to either speed up or do something with it. And typically what happens is they start to shove it in a bag, no matter where it is. And maybe your banana ends up underneath a can. Right. Right. Womp. Right. (laughs) Not what we want for our banana. Our body sort of works the same way. When food and fuel comes at a nice, even pace, our body produces insulin. Insulin carries all that fuel to our muscles and our cells to be used. Okay. When the conveyor belt speeds up, because we've eaten the donut, we ate the bread, we did, you know, cookies, cake, whatever, right? It's like flipping a switch, speeding up the conveyor belt. Our body overproduces insulin to try to keep up with that speed. And then all of that food and fuel is starts, right? Our body's trying to make that happen. Our muscles and our cells can only take in so much fuel at a time, and then they close. Right. But our fat cells, lovely fat cells, <laughs> our fat cells never close. So all of that extra fuel and the extra insulin gets stored as fat. Because what are you not doing? You're not leaving groceries at the grocery store. So your body's holding on to it all. Right. And that's compounded if you have a sedentary lifestyle where you're not being active. The energy demand's not there to use up all this fuel. Well, so the difference would be, right, how many, how much muscle we have. Muscle is mm-hmm. metabolically active, right? So here's another one for you note takers. Muscle dictates metabolism, right? So mm-hmm. muscle is metabolically active. The more muscle we have, the more fuel we burn. So the more muscle we have, the more we have, you know what I mean, cells for that fuel to go into. Yep. That's the factory that burns so, up all that exactly. energy. So the less we have, right, the less we're using up all of that extra fuel. So that's sort of if our blood sugar is too high, how we're storing fat. Let's look at the other. Oh, so by the way, what that looks like in real life. We go to a restaurant. We order steamed fish and vegetables. And we are like, look at me. I ordered the Mecca holy grail (laughs) of meals, right? Right. And then they put the bread basket down. And you're like, crap, I'm hungry. I'm just going to have a little piece. We start with the bread. Mm-hmm. It's like flipping a switch. That conveyor belt is sped up. And now, even though what you ordered to eat was steamed fish and vegetables, your body is storing that steamed fish and vegetables as fat. You've spiked your insulin and it's good to go. The process has begun. Exactly. So now let's go to the other extreme, right? If our blood sugar is too low. Mm-hmm. So our blood sugar could be too low because we haven't eaten enough. We've dramatically cut our calories, right? Mm -hmm. Or, and I see it a lot, we don't eat all day and then we eat a big dinner or we're trying to cram all of our calories, all of our fuel into a few hours, right? So our blood sugar being low for long periods of time 
our body in its infinite caveman wisdom that has not evolved with our society absolutely says no fuel, no food, famine. Time of famine. I'm a hunter-gatherer. If something's not here, it must be a time of famine. I'm going to survive. How am I going to survive? Anything I get, I'm storing as fat. Fat is fuel stored to be used later. I, I always say this about the human body, that it is the greatest survival machine the world, the universe has a ever seen. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. And so what happens right? As our body thinks it's a time of famine, the next time we eat something, it stores it as fat because it's like, oh no, you're not going to kill me, right? Right. So now we don't eat all day. We get to the restaurant. We order steamed fish and vegetables. We even skip the bread basket. But our body is storing that steamed fish and vegetables as fat because our body says, well, I don't know when the next meal is coming. And if I'm going to survive, I need to hold on to this. Now, let me ask you a question here. This is a very important point because a very popular trend now, and trends come and go, they have their days. A very popular trend is intermittent fasting, right? People yes. say, oh, IF, I'm on the <laughs> IF diet. Good for you. And people are seeing results with intermittent fasting. But um, help the audience kind of understand why is it that people see results with intermittent fasting? Because what you just said was, if you're fasting for a long time and suddenly you eat, you have low blood sugar, you're going to spike your insulin and things are not going to go so well because your body wants to survive. So how do you consolidate those two pieces of information? Because a lot of people don't understand the actual science behind IF. So the objective of IF is to get our body to burn fat as fuel rather than carbohydrates or rather than you know everything else. Other sources, the truth yeah. is you can put your body in a fat burning zone based on how you do eat. So you have options is number one. Number two, the idea that we're going to be able to give our body all of the nutrition that it actually needs in a fraction of the hours that we're awake is a bit misguided. Because let's be real, even if we had all day, most of us don't give our body everything that it needs and none of the stuff it doesn't need. Absolutely. So for the yeah. average person, what's actually happening with intermittent fasting is that we're just cutting calories. Yeah. And when we dramatically cut calories, we know that what we're losing is water, muscle, and sometimes bone. And it goes back to what we talked about before. Here's the intermittent fasting, the intermittent fasting that I do like. Ready? What's the first meal of the day? Breakfast. Break fast. So the intermittent fasting that we all should be doing is dinner to breakfast. I.e. sleep. Exactly. <laughs> if we, like a couple hours before bed, sleep for a sufficient amount of time, wake up and have breakfast within an hour of waking up, that is proper intermittent fasting. If we wake up, and we are expecting our body to perform without fuel, we are triggering the body to say it is a time of famine. And sometimes that can help our body burn fat as fuel, but more times than not, it's creating a situation where we're then holding on to everything we need. And when we don't, the other side of that, right, and what I was saying about trying to give our body everything it needs in a finite period of time, we have to give our body the building blocks that it needs for all the hormones and neurotransmitters and everything that controls everything in our body. 
Mm-hmm. And so most people, while the scale might go down in the short term, long term can often be detrimental when we look at hormone balance. I like to tell my clients that you know, at the end of your life, close to the end of your life, when you're retired and you know, your feet are up on your chair, are you going to remember that number on the scale or are you going to remember the memories that you formed in those years? Because you can achieve that number on the scale or that particular physique in multiple different ways but it has to support your life. It's not the only thing that matters in life. And if you don't pay attention to that and you go into starvation diets and all of these extreme habits, not only are you gonna miss out on that period of your life where you could be, like you said, using that energy for so much more to create, to, to live, to enjoy, but also later on down in your life, you're gonna pay for it. There's a price to be paid for not eating and living correctly when you can in the younger years. Totally. Now, I want to ask you, you know, I'm here now, I'm ready, I'm good to go, I'm a level five, right? Give me three strategies I can do today to start that journey. So number one, what we went back to, protein and fiber at every meal makes you're moving fat, no big deal, and our quality fat every day, right? That's the fundamental nutrition. Number two, move your mass. Build muscle. Muscle dictates metabolism right? So we have the food piece. (laughs) We have the building muscle piece to improve our metabolism. And then number three, start to track it on paper. If you don't track it, it's not happening. It's not that it's not happening. And it's not that you're not tracking. It's that you're tracking in your head. And that goes back to what we started talking about, which is when all of our brain power is caught up in this conversation, we're not moving forward no matter what the scale says. Well, we're not living our best life. Well, that's the so, thing. If you're not tracking on paper, right, then you're not really tracking because- You are. And this is the difference. And, and I say this because I have been there. You're tracking. You are tracking in your head. You know every single thing. You are like, this is what I had today. This is what I had yesterday. And I need to eat this now. And I need to eat that later. And this is the plan. <laughs> It's not that you're not tracking. It's about where you're tracking. Very cool. And that's a big distinction for people because they think, oh, tracking makes me crazy. I would actually bet the tracking in your head is what's making you crazy Mm -hmm. because when it's on paper, I don't have to keep it in my head. And here's the other thing about it being on paper, not just that we don't have to keep it in our head, but that, so for example, food sensitivities right? Food sensitivities, we can sometimes have the reaction 72 hours after we ate the food. We can sometimes have the reaction a month after eating the food. Yeah. But when we're tracking in our head, we don't go back that far. Unless it was something dramatic, (laughs) we don't go back that far. It is much more difficult to see patterns when we're tracking in our head. So tracking on paper, think of it as just collecting the data. It's not about the food police, which is what we've all uh, thought that it was, right? Someone's going to check this and see what I ate. Personally, that's between you and what you ate. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. What I want to know is, what's the data showing us? Does the data say, every day at four o'clock, we have an energy slump? Does the data say, hey, if I skip breakfast, I eat a lot after dinner? Does the data show us that, you know, certain times of, you know, the month are more challenging? Does the data show us every time I eat 
rice, I have a headache two days later, right? Collecting the data so that we can identify the patterns and figure out what the commonalities are. And again, we get it out of our head, we get it onto the paper, we can collect the data. And here's the other side of starting with the protein and fiber piece, right? Mm-hmm. When we, it's chemical. Cravings are chemical. Willpower is chemical. All of these things, right? Whether we're hungry or satisfied, it's actually chemical in hormones in the body. When we start fundamentally with that nutrition component, protein and fiber, a vast majority of the cravings start to dissipate. And like, it feels like magic. It's not. It's science. It's biochemical. (laughs) Yep. It's very biochemical in your gut. It's proven. In the gut, in the brain, in the body, with our energy and our sleep and all the pieces. And so then what right now might feel like you have to completely overhaul your life, you don't right? If we can look at the data, right? So first of all, we start with these new food choices and we're collecting the data. And now we see that this four o'clock energy slump happens every time you eat this one thing for lunch. Now, all of a sudden it's like, why don't we just see what happens if you try something else for lunch? And now all I'm thinking about is that one meal rather than thinking about, oh my God, I got to do all of these things. Or nighttime eating feels challenging. Well, if we could connect it to breakfast, which often happens, P.S., right? All we now have to think about is what am I having for breakfast instead of trying to obsess over everything that happens after dinner. It shifts the entire mental conversation around our food. Now, this is, uh, this is why I appreciate the fact that, you know, when professionals get together and have discussions on these topics, <laughs> you get these gems. Uh, I'll use the example of tracking, for example. The way I would have approached tracking is, listen, if you're not tracking it on paper, you don't really know if you're taking 100 calories, 400 calories, et cetera, right? But the way you placed it, somebody else is going to resonate with that a lot more saying, oh my God, that's right. I'm tracking it all in my head, right? So I, I love the fact that these conversations generate these gems. And that's why I think it's so important to get voices like yours out there so people can get different perspectives on things and and, and learn from people like you who've who've been in the trenches, been there themselves, and, you know, now they're helping people. Now, I I always ask my guests one question before we kind of end the podcast, and I I like them to kind of think about it for a second and then let me know what their answer is. So for you, I want to ask you, why do you do what you do? Uh, Why are you in the industry? I mean, you're clearly very intelligent. You could do anything you want. So why do you choose to do this particular Thing that you do now? So my big mission in all that I do, right? Whether it's my health coaching, my podcast, salad with a side of fries, or working with other health professionals, or teaching other people to be health coaches, everything that I do, I am on a mission to change the state of healthcare. Why? Because I've been there. All of this stuff that we've been taught is what has gotten us to where we are, and it's a problem. We have a crisis. Before the pandemic, we weren't healthy, right? What is it? Water boils at like 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. We're Fahrenheit people. You're Fahrenheit, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So like 212 degrees Fahrenheit water boils, we were living life at 211 degrees. Yeah. The pandemic just pushed us over the edge. 
you're not healthy the day before a heart attack. Yep. You might have been diagnosed with cardiovascular disease. It doesn't mean that your liver and your kidneys and everything else is healthy and just your heart has a problem because everything is connected. And I'm so passionate about this because when I was struggling with my weight, it was like, I'm the problem. I suck. Why can't I do this? Right? This is a willpower thing. This is, I can't stick to a diet. I can't do all these things. What's wrong with me? It becomes about the person instead of the actual problem. Exactly. The problem is the misinformation. The problem is the economics of our food system. The problem is the information that we've all been fed, no pun intended. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the problem is our Western medical system that looks at everything in isolation, that treats symptoms rather than cause. And it made me feel and believe that there was something wrong with me. So, what drives you now? And I mean, by, because I learned this information that shifted every food decision from being emotional to intellectual. And then I was, and that's what kicked my food issues, intellectual versus emotional food decisions, right? No longer was it about what's wrong with me or my willpower, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And then I started to think, well, why didn't I know this? Why don't we all know this? Why isn't this what we were taught? And I set out on a mission to pay it forward and help people help themselves with this information because we all deserve it, right? We deserve to have the tools and the information that allow us to live our best lives and to have health and energy and vitality and to do the things that we want to do. I, I think that, you know, the, the more people I talk to, the more this, this is becoming a common thing. Coaches like yourself in the industry who actually do care about making a positive difference rather than, you know, just filling up their bank account. They care about this stuff, right? I've seen time and time and time again, and on conversations where the coach is not necessarily thinking about the client, they're thinking more about how can I become more of a successful coach, more popular, more whatever. You can tell right away that their mission is not there. It's not aligned. So to hear that is very refreshing. And as a coach myself, who's got a conscience about these things, it encourages me to keep pushing because I'm not alone. And it's the same applies for anybody who's dieting or training or trying to better themselves. You know, once they hear these stories, like your own story, um, they realize they're not alone and that they can go on to become somebody who can be influential and motivation to other people, which I think is so important, especially with, like you said, pandemic. People are going to come out of this with so much uh, you know, physical damage, nutritional damage, psychological damage. There's a lot of things we need to help people with and help people figure out uh, as far as, you know, how do you move on from here? How do we become better versions of ourselves? So if another pandemic rolls around, we're in a healthier standpoint. You know, we didn't get into so many topics we wanted to get into, but they, they've seen that, you know, people who are generally healthier tend to do better during a pandemic, lo and behold, right? Surprise, surprise. People who, you know, get on the sunshine and produce enough vitamin D, they do better when they get the virus. The, things like this, they're finding out and, and just points to one direction. Take care of your health. Don't wait. Like you said, you're not healthy the day before the heart attack. And I think if there's, you know, one of the best things to come out of this is everybody's awareness of their health and recognizing that health and healthcare is not showing up to a doctor once a year. Health and healthcare are the little things that we do every single day, day in and day out. That is your healthcare. What you feed your body, how you manage your stress, your quantity and quality of sleep, mm -hmm. 
your energy, your mood, your self-esteem. These are the indications of health and healthcare and wellness. And it's up to each of us. We have to take care of it ourselves. We can't rely on that system or the marketing on food labels to tell us what is healthful. But but Jen, you're telling me I can't just hop onto Instagram and pick up the booty <laughs> workout I saw and and that's my healthcare? Right? Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, it's a piece of it. Sure, why not? Move your mass. Do whatever you want. Move your mass. But like, you know, that's one piece. One piece, yeah. I, I say that because almost in every podcast I do, it's like I, I rail on Instagram. Um, right. Okay. <laughs> now, social media, you know, I do it in fun, but social media can be such a great tool. But it, when it's bad, it can be really bad because people yeah. get sucked into um, a lot of the stuff they see that's been filtered, that's been curated specifically to get them to buy something. And something I want to share with the audience here that they may not be aware of, and this is important, especially in the age of TikTok and Instagram stories, is you know that photos can be edited and filtered. Everybody knows that, right? You can make your hip thinner and, and butt wider and all of that stuff, but you can actually do it to videos. You can do it to vid videos you're recording or you're live on. There's actual software to do that. So when you see somebody on your social media feeds and it makes you feel like, oh man, I wish I could be like them, always keep in the back of the mind, majority, 90% plus influencers on Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, are using these filters because that's what gets them the views, right? Their objective is not for your health. Their objective is to show you something and have you buy something, right? If someone's selling you on their body, I can almost guarantee you they're filtering it to achieve a specific purpose. It's been tested. There's people coming out of the woodworks not talking about these things. Please do some research on it because we've been home in the pandemic, surrounded by the internet, surrounded by you know our phones, Instagram, TikTok, etc. And all you see are these people who are in supremely great shape. And I want to back up one step further on please, that. Yeah. Sorry. Please. The most important transformation, the most important indicators of health, you cannot see in a photo. You cannot see in a video. I don't care how much it's edited. You cannot see the important pieces. And that, I think, like key takeaway of this whole conversation, you can't see the most important things and the biggest indicators of your health. What would you consider was the biggest transformation for you? I mean, you went through one yourself. Yeah, the mindset, for sure that it's no longer on, off, good, bad. I'm on a diet. I'm off the diet. Start again tomorrow. Like that doesn't exist. Everything is a part of the plan. This is who I am and what I do. My default is the healthful choice, right? I call it unconsciously competent, mm -hmm. right? And learning to live in that gray area where there's no reason to beat ourselves up about anything especially our food choices. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I'm going to summarize this a little bit. It seems like you're placing a, a large amount of importance on food choices. You know, you didn't touch too much on the training aspect. Is there a reason for that? Well, two pieces. One, I'm not a personal trainer, right? I know more than the average person about fitness, but I'm not a personal trainer. Two, how many times a week on a perfect week might you exercise? Right, two, maybe three, right? Most people. Most people. Wow. I work out six days a week. Okay. Right. How many times a week do you eat? <laughs> Five, six times a day, right? Easy. Right. I, at a minimum, let's call it three times a day, seven days a week, 21 times. You cannot outrun your fork. And by the way, calories in, calories out is not how the body works. It's not about the number of calories, it's about the quality of the calories. 
So here's another one. Write it down for the note takers. (laughs) It's not calories in, calories out. It's quality in, quality out. Get up and move more. Because you could eat. You could eat 750 calories of M&Ms or you could eat 750 calories of broccoli. I don't recommend it, but your health outcomes are going to be very different. And when you go to work out, you can't say, hey, buddy, go for those M&Ms, not the broccoli. Keep the broccoli. It's not how it works. The key distinction here, I think it's important to point it out, is you're looking at this from a perspective of health. That's the most important thing I think people need to understand that when someone says it's not just about calories in versus calories out, they are talking about your health. When someone says calories in versus calories out is the solution for everything, they may mean, you know, that, yeah, you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. Of course, that's the science. You can't refute that. However, you have to go deeper and understand for your health, it's not just about the calories. Because, I mean, scientific studies have shown you can be... Calories in, calories out focus solely without looking at the quality of the calories, you will be losing right. water, muscle, and bone. Exactly. And the number on the scale will go down. Yeah. And, they, and then you become something called skinny fat, which is, you know, you look skinny, but your, exactly. your body fat is really, really high. Uh, something that I do, and I encourage, uh, you know, I want to ask you something uh, about your habits, but something that I do is on an annual basis on my birthday, I'll go get the DEXA scan done, right? Kind of figure <laughs> out where my body composition is at. That's awesome. Because I don't want to just rely on, okay, do I feel good? Am I performing good? That's a huge thing for me, but I also want to be objective and say, all right, let me just get it measured. And to the best of accuracy as possible, understand what changes are happening kind of year to year for me on an average. So are there some habits or things that you do like that to keep yourself on track with your health? Everything I do is much more daily, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it's, am I moving? Am I fueling myself? Um, how's my energy, right? Like if we're relying on caffeine, oh boy, <laughs> got to back up, <laughs> you know? So like the little things for me, like, my water, I notice, you know, really quickly when I'm not getting enough water. Um, you know, I eat a lot of vegetables. I work out, like I said, six days a week. And even on the days when I don't work out, other people would qualify it as working out because I'm just active. Right. Right. Um, going back to the kids thing, you don't need to teach your kid to weight train. You need to keep teach your kid to just be active, right? For all of us. When I talk about it, it's, you know, Exercise and activity, not just, you know, we typically think of as air quotes exercise, right? Um, It's, I have a gratitude practice every single day. Um, I have a notebook next to my bed. And every night before I go to bed, I write five things I'm grateful for. I meditate every day. Um, I'm trying to think what else, you know, and I don't get on the scale. That I love you said that. I, I was just waiting for the one thing you're going to tell me that's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you said it. So why don't you go on the scale? What every, I don't need to know. First of all, we've already talked about it's a terrible barometer. Yeah. Right. I measure my progress based on, and I'll say it again, sleep, quality of sleep. Am I waking up rested? How's my stress? What's my stress level and how am I handling it? How's my energy? How do I feel about myself? What's my self-esteem? Right? And how's my mood? So much more important than the number on the scale. 
And the thing is, is that the number on the scale follows those other things instead of those other things following the number on the scale. Because right. you might feel great and then you get on the scale and it doesn't say what you wanted to say. And now all of a sudden you're beating yourself up for something that before you felt really good about. Exactly. Like counterproductive. And, and as professionals in the industry, a lot, lot of people think we have the perfect lives because, you know, it's again, Instagram, YouTube, all of that stuff, right? right? <laughs> them to think that fitness professionals have it all together and they're all psychologically sound and they're super great, but they don't realize even people like us, like I don't even step on the scale unless I'm specifically cutting weight for a specific like sport related or performance related purpose, because I know that I might be, like you said, having a great day, enjoying time with my kids. Then I step on the scale. I'm like, oh my God, that's not what I expected. And there goes my mood and my self-esteem, right? So we also get affected just like everybody else. So imagine what someone who's not in the industry, who's not, you know, studied on fitness and health and nutrition would feel like when they step on a scale, see a number that they don't understand how to interpret. And if your mood, right, depends on what's on the scale, work with someone. Yeah. You know, we want to have some support around that, someone to remind us of all the things we did do. <laughs> you know, I think another challenge when it comes to sort of the mental side of all of this is so much we focus on what we're losing or what we're giving up. Right. We want to focus on everything we're gaining and everything that is happening and everything we're moving toward. And that emphasis on the scale. You know, first of all, I hate the word lose and loss. Like, I don't even use that word with my clients. Right. Right. What happens when you lose something? It's gone. It's, yeah, it's, but I'm it's pissed. All, right. I want to find it. I lost a necklace. I am angry. Right. We want to find anything we lose, right? Words have a lot of power. They do. Stop talking about it as weight loss. We are removing it. We're releasing it. It's going to the ether somewhere, but we don't need to find it again. And if we focus on the loss, inevitably we're trying to find it. If, if somebody wants to see how powerful words can be, just look at our conversation today when we talked about tracking, right? I use the word track in one way and Jen uses a different way. We both mean the same thing. We both get the same thing. But the way we approach it with different words is going to resonate differently with different people. Some people will resonate with my style better saying, hey, if you're not tracking, you don't know what you're doing. Some people with Jen's style saying, listen, you are always tracking. It's in your head if it's not on paper. So that's so important to say that, you know, words have power. Words, what you say to yourself, the things that you're allowed to be said about you, the things that you're surrounding yourself with, things that they allow people to say when they're around you about your weight loss journey or your health journey or your, you know, uh, life journey. It's so, so important. And I hammer this in, in my, in my show and my, in my practice and my services that listen, your psychology, the, the things around you that form your psychology are so, so crucial. You have to target and fix those things because if you don't, no matter how successful you are at physically losing body fat or gaining muscle and et cetera, et cetera, you're going to be broken on the inside. Everybody after this pandemic should know what that feels like because these lockdowns exposed all of that, right? When you have nowhere to go, you're in your head. And by the way, like a little compassion for ourselves, mm -hmm. like the last year plus year and a half have been insane, <laughs> right? When we start to come out of this, just recognize where we are and that's okay. And we're going to start from where we are now, not from where we think we should be, another word I hate, mm -hmm. should, right? Not from where we were March 12th of 2020, right. <laughs> right, before all this happened, but from where we are now. And we start here and we just keep moving forward from where we are.
You know, that's so cool. I had, I had a health coaching um, group just recently, and one of the people in there, she uh, <laughs> she came into one of our sessions online with the group, and she was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm late. She was about 20 minutes late. But what the group didn't realize, but she I knew because she called me right away, is she got into a car accident earlier that day, right? She got into a car accident. She's a mother of one, but she still made it in because her health mattered to her. She wanted to be there yep. and make the progress. And she's saying, sorry, guys, I'm late. I'm like, don't worry about it. It's okay. But on the back end, I was like, wow, people really, like, even after something like that, you know, they're still beating themselves up and not realizing, hey, it's okay. I, I had something like a car accident. And I'm still here. I showed up. That's what matters. Yeah. Now, before we go, I, I do want to ask you, what is the one message you want to put out in the world? If you could speak to there, all of humanity. Yeah. Health is in your own hands. Simple. I mean, it's it sums up everything, <laughs> right? Like changing our healthcare. If we all took personal responsibility for our health, that would be it. That's beautiful. And and there's two things they don't make more of in this world: health and time. Right? You'll never get time back. And the health, you'll never get it back as well because you at 30 healthy is not the same as you at 20 healthy. It's a whole different kind of ballgame. Age is a thing. Time is a thing. Well, and modern science, right? We've extended our lifespan, but they're now tracking health span, right? The number of years of health versus right. the number of years of life. That's scary to think about, right? That's amazing. We could, people live a lot longer now than they used to, but not well. Not well. It seems like the stories of her grandparents and their grandparents of, you know, being sturdy, robust people has, has a lot of weight to it, right? My, my grandparents used to say, yeah, I used to walk to school like five miles each way up a Uphill hill. Uphill both hill. ways, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it's fun to hear the stories, but then you think, you know, how were they able to do that when we can't even get up an escalator now and, and not huff and puff? So um, Jen, this was amazing. I, I feel like we have so much more to talk about and I can't wait to have you back on the show. Before we go, please let everybody know where they can find you. Yes. So all social media, I'm at Jen Trepic, J-E-N-N-T-R-E-P-E-C-K. The podcast is salad with a side of fries. So odds are wherever you're listening, we're there. Um, and please reach out, send me a message on social media. Tell me, you know, key takeaway. What did you learn from our conversation today or what's sticking with you? Uh, I love nothing more than to just hear from you. So please do. Well, I appreciate the time you've given us. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me.